The backup quarterback is the most popular guy in town. That's especially true after a sleepwalk victory over an FCS opponent. We will get into the Joe Milton versus Nico conversation today on the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks and John Adams. Hey guys, I was uh, I was down in, in Birmingham last week covering Alabama, Texas, and following Tennessee kind of from afar. I read your coverage afterwards, and uh, reading, reading the coverage of that game, you wouldn't have known Tennessee won by three scores. I, I think that just sort of summed up, I guess, the play that was. And sometimes when you play those FCS opponents, a little more is expected than just winning by a few scores. Uh, paint, paint a picture for me. Why uh, why did things go awry on Saturday? And, and why was that offense stuck in neutral for a while? I mean, there's a few ways you can get to, um, you know, playing down to your competition of an FCS team actually hanging with you for the majority of a game. One of them is you can just sleepwalk through the thing and you're not motivated, you're not paying attention, uh, and the other team is motivated. There was a little bit of that, um, and, but you can get over that. You can say, hey, but okay, uh, should have woke up, should have taken this team seriously, but that's fixed the next week because you're playing Florida, you're playing an SEC game, and the, no harm, no foul. Um, the second way you can do it is if you're just really struggling in an area and that area could be even worse in uh, conference games. And, and I think the latter is uh, th- that, that type of situation, I think, is what the Vol fans that I talk to that are concerned, I think that's why they're concerned. In some ways, Tennessee was not 100% into the game, especially early in the game. But in other ways, Austin P stifled their passing game. And that's a that's a really really big problem. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it. But Austin P did what other football teams can do. I don't care what level they are. They just they dropped eight guys. They came up to the line. They looked like they were they were going to blitz, and then they would drop eight guys. And so Tennessee wanted to go deep. They couldn't go deep, and Tennessee had to had to adjust to Austin P. Uh, that sometimes can happen, even against an FCS team. But uh, you know that if if you're having trouble in that game, you could certainly have more trouble against Florida and conference games. And that's why people are concerned because maybe this was a football problem and not necessarily a mindset problem. I got uh, two types of emails uh, after writing about that game. One were from fans who, as Adam said, were concerned about the passing, who just thought it was a dreadful performance overall. And others who would say, well, we won the game. Hmm. What, what do you want? Yeah, you were too negative, John. That, that's exactly. what I heard. Yeah, I, I said somebody told me it was time for me to leave. <laughs> I, that's the first time you've heard that, isn't it? it it's, <laughs> yeah, I've uh, been here for over 30 years, but hadn't left yet. But I look at that at game, and I think what Adam, the way Adam pointed it out, was the passing game. We've come to expect certain things from a Josh Heupel team. And we expect big passing plays. We just do, and particularly against an inferior opponent. It's just you expect a blowout. And that's not based on wishful thinking. It's based on track record. I mean, Tennessee is averaging over 40 points per game. It was averaging that in its first uh, 27 games under Hypel. Yet it scored 30 against Austin P. Whatever the reason, that is very much a cause for concern. 
Yeah, and, and I want to hit on something that uh, maybe the third kind of email that I got, in addition to the two kind that John got, was that, um, well, hey, guys, uh, Josh Hopple held things back. It was very vanilla, didn't want to show anything. Um, that's true later in the game. That is not true early in the game. I mean, and, and also I think there's a misconception of Tennessee's offense. Um, Tennessee's offense is not um, a lot of crazy type play calls. It's tempo and it's style. Um, it's, you know, you, you, you're spreading people out. Um, if the defense at the beginning of the game uh, is, is more centered to the field, then you're going to start throwing side to side. That's going to spread them out. Then you're going to be able to run. And then you're going to throw vertical routes in the middle of the field because then they're they're spread out. If at the beginning of the game you spread your receivers out, their wide splits as they do, and you're already spread out, if the defense is already spread out, then you can go ahead and hit the middle early. And Austin P was more of the latter. They dropped guys deep into coverage, but they also were out on the outside, so they gave up the middle. Um, Tennessee threw to the middle, and Joe Milton misfired. Um, and then, uh, and then Austin P adjusted and uh, uh, to what was open. Other things came open, and then Tennessee dropped open passes. Um, it wasn't like Tennessee was – Tennessee was not vanilla at the beginning. They played the game exactly how you would think they would play. They looked at what the defense was giving them. They took it. Uh, they did not execute. And, again, that's, that's the issue is that Tennessee tried to play their game, and it didn't work. Um, it got more vanilla later in the game because Tennessee looked at it and said, okay, we're just going to, have to do pitch and catch, run the ball, and uh, and just win the game. I think that was more concerning that Tennessee did not do what it wanted to do. It did what it had to do to beat Austin P. Um, Tennessee should be able to do what it wanted to do. And if you think back the last two years, especially last season, uh, Tennessee usually against pretty much any opponent offensively decided what it wanted to do and it did it and that did not that did not happen in this game and they're going to have to be able to dictate the offense um more and against florida so with that in mind guys i mean how serious should the concern be uh about joe milton and and how serious should we take you know the calls that you hear from the fans sometimes about the backup quarterback i mean look we know this happens we knew it would happen at the first sign of trouble the first incompletion you'd hear whispers of nico and by the third incompletion you'd you'd hear it in conversational tones and and as they continue to pile up you might finally start hearing chants of it right i mean that's just that's uh, life as a starting quarterback um in this conference at tennessee at the first sign of struggle, especially when there's a five-star freshman waiting in the wings, there's going to be scrutiny. And this was this was not the good Joe Milton uh, on Saturday against Austin P. Really struggled to hit in the first half. I know some drop passes factored in. And then, as you said, Adam, uh, maybe they did kind of hold back by necessity throughout the second half and went into, like, quick stuff, screen mode, right, to just get out of there and and get the W. So is this a lingering concern? Should it be about Milton to what extent and, and how serious should uh, we engage with the idea of Nico, you know, some point down the line, it's not going to happen this week, but if Milton struggles from the first half Saturday persist, how serious do we have to take the Nico idea? Yeah, I mean, it, it it could come into play later in the season. I don't think it will, um, but I think the door is open to that possibility. I, you know, 
I said at the beginning of the season, it would probably take a couple of SEC losses for Josh Apple to consider a change. So let's say Tennessee loses to Florida um, and then, you know, beats UTSA with Joe Milton and then loses to South Carolina. Um, okay. Th- then, then we're, you know, then we're talking about a season that's not going to go, you know, 10 wins or whatever, like you would a Tennessee fan would hope it would be. And then you're into sort of resetting the quarterback position and you're looking to the future maybe, or at least you're giving Nico a chance uh, because if you're not going to win SEC games, what's the point of, of, uh, of being out there? Um, that's the goal. But it, it's going to take, I think, a couple of losses like that uh, for for them to make the change. The, the thing with Nico, and again, I get a lot of these emails. Um, th- there's the Milton defenders stick with him no matter what, and then there's the uh, um, there there's the hey, I've seen this this Joe before. Let's drop him and let's move on to Nico. The latter bunch, I, I understand the frustration because uh, what Joe did bad especially early in the game is what he's done before he gets juiced up he overthrows um and you just you can't afford to to do that when 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 a guy is when a guy is schemed open you have to hit him and they're gonna they're gonna pay for that if if joe milton can't do that and then those guys have to catch the ball too so it goes both ways i I think the thing that maybe frustrates me the most when fans call for Nico and they've done this in two games, by the way, um, you've heard the chance, Nico, Nico heard it at the Virginia game and they were in Neyland again this time. Um, I want to know, and I've asked fans this, what are you using to support the fact that Nico absolutely is a better option than Joe Milton right now? That five star uh, rating. That's uh, right. The, the, the recruiting service ranking. It's five-star rating. It's a, uh, you know, I watched his YouTube clips from high school. Um, that pass was awesome that he threw to Ethan Davis in the spring game. Uh, he was two for three against Virginia. Uh, you know, I mean, I, and I'm not dogging Nico. I, I think he's a f- tremendous talent. I think he's probably going to be really, really good. But I, I don't understand the w- what you're judging it off of. If you're judging Nico off of, whatever you've seen from clips or that he has a five-star rating, then you have to say Joe Milton is awesome and going to win the Heisman because he threw a ball 85 yards at the Manning camp. You know, these are the same things. Um, you're taking a little, you're taking a little snippet of the best thing that he did at a thing that's not an SEC game. And, and then uh, putting that into an SEC game, um, I, you know, there's so much more to playing quarterback than completing the ball from A to B. That's a big part of it. But uh, Joe Milton is better in the other areas than Nico is right now. Um, it's making decisions in their RPO game and the run pass options. Uh, Joe Milton is much better than Nico now, which he should be. He's been around a lot longer. Nico's just learning the offense um, and, uh, and changing the pass protections. Joe Milton is much better than Nico is. Um and just running the offense, running the four-minute offense, and and this a lot of this comes from coaches that you know that talked about this in fall camp that Nico is learning those sort of things, uh, just managing the offense, um, running the ball. Um, Joe Milton is a more effective runner right, right now than Nico. Um, you know, there's just so many things in the decision-making part of the job that Joe Milton you know, has close to a master's degree in where Nico is in the 101 class. And I think, you know, Nico could play and maybe close that gap. Um, 
but there's just I'm not saying Nico is not going to be a great quarterback. I'm just saying give it time. You're two and zero. Joe Milton's been on campus for three years. He has yet to throw an interception. Um, you know, get let's let's give it time. I guess, I guess is my summary. Give it time. Yeah, you're you're asking fans to be patient, and that's <laughs> that's not yeah. in the fan handbook. There's no chapter that says be patient. It doesn't exist, and that's universal, not just with Tennessee. Think about Georgia over the last few years. Uh, had all these uh, – it had two five-star quarterbacks, some four-stars, and then it had a no-star quarterback, Stetson Bennett, who just kept beating them all out. And I bet there was still fans, even as Georgia was winning the national championship, that thought that a five-star should be starting over Stetson Bennett. People embrace these recruiting services with with such fervor. They just – they place so much import on it. And we know that's just not the ultimate uh, determining factor on how good somebody is. I think Nico will be really good too. Uh, I think, however, I, I wonder, like watching Joe Milton Saturday – it reminded me of the Joe Joe Milton of 2021 against Bowling Green and uh, Pittsburgh before he was injured in the first two games of the season. Uh, he was just missing open open receivers, not so much on deep balls, but on those intermediate throws. I wonder if he gets uh, a little anxious and or hyped up, as Adam said, maybe a little more anxious when he's throwing over the middle. Because there is a greater risk with those passes, you're you're having to read more of the field. You're not you're not as sure where everybody is as opposed to one of those uh, bubble screens to the outside. You you know what you're dealing with there. It's a small body of defenders, uh, and so I wonder if that could be contributed to it and could be uh, a factor in it. And I remember Joe Milton talking about how too he's too hard on himself. And they said, well, this year, you know, that's something he's worked on. But maybe he was too hard on himself after that slow start against Austin P. He can't get away with that against uh, uh, SEC opponents, except Vanderbilt maybe. But I just think uh, – I don't think Tennessee has a lot of choice here. I mean, it's pretty much got to hope Joe Milton uh, plays the way they think he can play at a high level and then develop uh, Nico along the way. Now, by after the open date week in October, if Nico's made huge strides and, and Milton is struggling, then that might be an issue. But I, I just don't see how you could do that now. Yeah, I, I just think any fan that wants the, the switch from uh, Milton to Nico, you have to, you have to gauge the pluses and minuses. If Nico is a better passer in an SEC game, let's make that assumption. I don't think that's necessarily true, but let's make that assumption. Okay, you add that, and then you subtract all the things that I said before. So now Jalen Wright rushing for 100 yards the last two games may not happen because because Nico doesn't know what run to check into. Um, your your issues, some with protection in the middle of the line at left guard and center that's been happening, um, that may be worse uh, because Nico didn't necessarily change the pass protections as well as Joe does. Um, you're not efficient in in the four minute offense, so a couple of the faster drives, scoring drives that they've had, um, are 
don't run as as well as they have uh, with Joe Milton. The RPO game, which some of that was what worked the other day. They had some bubble screens, but they had some RPO stuff where it was short passes that Brew McCoy would catch and run over somebody and go eight yards. Uh, Nico is not necessarily going to going to bat a thousand uh, in making those decisions. So you're subtracting those things. Um, you know, when you go to Nico and maybe you're adding others again, that may be the right decision at some point. Um, but, but I, I don't, I don't really see a reason to, to rush into that just yet. I would go devil's advocate guys. Cause I understand the skepticism. Honestly, I think, uh, Joe Milton's lost his starting job twice before. And I don't default into like the coach knows best mode because coach didn't know best in 2021. Josh Heupel had it wrong. He thought Joe Milton was uh, the right starting quarterback for Tennessee that season, and he wasn't. And then Hooker was, and and Joe Milton, you know, exited that week two game with an injury of some sort against Pittsburgh. Hooker took the reins, and he was off the run, off and running. And and I know the coaching staff will, will say now, like, yeah, well, Hooker, you know, got better as he went. He did, and uh, it's sometimes hard to gauge in practice when you can't hit quarterbacks, how they're going to play live. That's true. But, um, you know, I'm not advocating for a, for a quarterback change by any means, but I I do think that if Milton's struggles move beyond Austin P yeah, I, I think, I think this idea is, is going to gain some legitimacy because even though we haven't seen a ton of Nico, um, you know, it's not like the reports have been bad about him. You know, everything you hear is that he had a good preseason. Spring game's not worth much, but he did play well in the in the spring game. And we've seen Milton stumble in the past, and it's hard to get that out of people's minds. Uh, and we know coaching staffs have have fell in love with his big arm before, but it hasn't always held up in in game action. So. Best case scenario for Tennessee, in my opinion, is Milton comes out this week in the swamp, puts this whole thing to bed, and said, "Yeah, that had one bad half against Austin P. Forget about it. I'm good to go, guys." Uh, you know, and and cruises from there. But if the struggles persist, I don't know. I, I'd be ready to kind of engage with the idea of of seeing a little more Nico. Yeah, and I almost feel that maybe some of the urgency of the frustrated Vol fans coming through as, as, I, as I talk about the, these scenarios, because um, like I laid it out earlier of, you know, okay, if Milton, if they go down and he plays poorly against Florida and they lose, and then maybe he plays poorly against South Carolina and they lose, well, now you can, now you can pull the trigger and you can go to Nico, where I think some Tennessee fans that are in the, in the turn the ball over to Nico camp are saying no 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 make the change before the losses um don't don't give up games that you could have won otherwise and maybe that's more of what your uh like with your comparison to the 2021 was because if they wait a couple of games there um you know you don't get the Hendon hooker maybe for almost a full season like you would have otherwise um but you know two different scenarios one of them was a seasoned guy that had played a while um what made Hendon Hooker the better choice uh, going from Milton to Hooker was that Hooker was a very, very good decision maker, most efficient quarterback in, in UT history, really throwing the ball and in the country uh, when he was when he was playing um, and uh, just to, sort of could create things, um, had, had great instincts. Uh, those are none of the things that you expect a freshman to have. 
that, that's, those are things that talented quarterbacks are expected to have, but to expect Nico to come in as a true freshman, and have those things that, that not necessarily, it, it wouldn't necessarily take time, but it probably would take time if he's like, you know, even almost all the five-star quarterbacks out there. But I, I can feel Tennessee fans saying, if you're going to make the change, make it. Um, you know, who am I to give away games? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, but but I, I do think there's as much there's there's I think there's a better chance that Joe Milton plays pretty well and Tennessee has a pretty good season than there is Nico come in this early in the year and somehow lead them to a better season. Um, these quarterback changes are so tricky. I go back through the years. I remember in 1994, uh, Jerry Coke, who was Tennessee's starting quarterback, got hurt in about the seventh play of the UCLA game. His career is done. He was a good quarterback. He just hadn't started before. If he hadn't been injured, he would have been the quarterback throughout 94, and Peyton Manning would have never become the starter. But once he went out, uh, you had Todd Helton ahead of Manning, and you had uh, Brandon Stewart another freshman kind of right on considered to be on the same level as Manning. But by midseason, Peyton Manning was a quarterback. And Tennessee, I think his first start was at against Washington State in Neyland Stadium. And Tennessee pulled out a close win. I think it was something like 10 to 7. Uh, but Peyton Manning was not the Peyton Manning. They became one of the greatest quarterbacks in football history. He you know, he couldn't – Tennessee won with defense that, that day. Uh, so it's hard to think of a freshman just coming in and being what he might become. So there is there is obviously risk in this. But I go back with other quarterback changes. Tennessee started Casey Clawson as a freshman, a true freshman. It started Eric Ainge as a true freshman uh, and did well but they didn't have another quarterback with experience who was as good as, as Joe Milton is. So, uh, you know, it's just hard to, it's just a hard choice to make, particularly on a small body of evidence. And no, you don't want throw, just throw away a game, but I think it would be too much to ask, would be too much to ask of Nico to start, make his first college start, against Florida in the swamp, albeit a not very good Florida team. That's just not to wake the way to break in a freshman yeah, you, quarterback. You, you can't start him in the swamp. That's no. yeah, so, that'd be, that's kind of crazy well, talk. Well, well, and the interesting thing is uh, Joe for better or worse uh, suffers from his past that we've seen, you know, overthrow Joe, right. Um, in, in the past. So, you know, he, he completed like two-thirds of his passes the other day. Now, most of them were bubble screens, and they were short, and we understand that. He, he was not throwing the ball downfield. Um, but he started one of eight, and if I remember, three of them were were on him. Three of them were overthrows. Uh, and then he completed 11 straight. Again, short passes. But we're, we're, we're judging him on three bad throws and we have reason to, because we've seen those type of throws before they were overthrows. They were on him. So had we not had that evidence in the past, we would just say, what, what, what's everybody freaking out over, over three bad throws in the first quarter. Um, but if, if you take it beyond that and let's just, let's just say Joe Milton is the starting quarterback for a while um, as we, we thought he would be up until a few days ago. Um, and I and I still think 
Um, he's got to have some help on the receiver set. So he started one of eight. He overthrew three, and then there were like four drops after that um, of passes that were on target. I think something that Joe Milton he he was not getting any help from his wide receivers, and I think that's that's something that's hurt in this transition. As much going from Hooker to Milton, the receivers he needs a guy to go to. If you think back at Hendon Hooker, he always knew he could throw the ball to Cedric Tillman. If you even look at the Pitt game uh, last season, uh, he, he targeted Cedric Tillman like 22 times or something. He just, anytime he could, he threw it to Cedric Tillman, he, and he would get it. Joe Milton does not have that guy right now. You would hope it would be Brew McCoy, and he did have some catches the other day, but most of them, again, were, were little short hitches and bubble screens. Um, he's got to have Brew McCoy be that guy that he can trust to. If I'm, I'm throwing it, he's catching it. Um, Last year, Hendon Hooker had Jalen Hyatt, where when Josh Heupel, um, Josh Heupel or the OC Alex Golish would would set up a play to where Jalen Hyatt was open over the middle, he was going to make the the defense pay. Squirrel wide is not that guy right now for for Joe Milton. Two games in, I understand that. Uh, and then Ramel Keaton, who was who who had a really good season last year. He cut a touchdown pass this last game. He also had a drop or two, and he fumbled the ball. Um, the Oregon transfer, Dante Thornton, I think is probably going to be a pretty good player, but he had he had at least one drop, maybe two drops the other day. I think he had a drop against Virginia. So I guess what I'm saying is um, Hendon Hooker did have pieces in place that would help him even in his not great games. And Joe Milton – while he overthrew some balls early on, he, he's got to have some help from those guys as well. Let's dive into the, the Florida the Florida deal, guys. Uh, we know Florida, is, this is not one of their most dynamic teams. They were terrible in week one against Utah. Graham Mertz, uh, you know, not one of the more exciting quarterbacks in the, in the conference, I suppose. The Wisconsin transfer, certainly not up to the standard of some past Florida quarterbacks, although Mertz has been better for Florida so far than he was for much of his Wisconsin run. Um, We see the the betting line at this game around seven points. How much do you think is that built on Florida's history in in the swamp? You know, they they haven't lost in that building to Tennessee since 2003. Um, Would Tennessee, do you think, be bigger favorites in this game, if not for that history? And how much do you guys have the history in mind, you know, as you think about what may, might be possible in this game? Because I think all these struggles we're talking about with Austin P aside, you know, if we were to throw history out the window, I think we'd probably, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we'd probably predict a Tennessee win with some level of confidence here. But it does feel like all those past nightmares in the swamp in years gone by is kind of giving, giving some pause in, in this game. Yeah, I mean, there's a few factors. Um, if Tennessee against Austin P did what we thought they would do, which is, you know, win by 40 or 50 points or whatever and put up a ton of points, uh, then I think the line would probably be more like 10 um, because people would say, okay, well, this is the Tennessee offense of last year or at least, a, you know, some version of it. So we haven't seen that in that way yet. So I think that's cause for a little bit of doubt. Um, the history is a little bit of cause for, for doubt. Um, and I've said on here, you know, I've said on here a few times just this season that uh, the swamp is the swamp Ben Hill Griffin Stadium is one of those venues 
where whatever you think the the line should be in your mind, it it changes about three points once you get in there. Um, it's 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 just a place where good teams cannot be as good, and uh, and mediocre Florida teams can can rise to the occasion. Tennessee has to start well in this game. If if they're up against the crowd and they struggle early on, and that passing game is not there and Tennessee's having to rely on the run game, and it's not really getting things downfield, so now they're having to do the short passing game, and there's just no momentum, and then your confidence lowers, uh, then then they could be in trouble because that's a tough place to play if you don't have much working uh, for you. Um, they've got to start well, and that's what you know. That's what they did the last two years. Tennessee is the um, has been the highest scoring first quarter team in college football the last two years. It's twelve something points, twelve points little over that a game. Um, I think last year was 10 points a game in the first quarter. Two years ago, it was over 14 points a game in the first quarter. They get on, they've always gotten, at least under Josh Hopple, they've got on people early and they've pressed the issue regardless of who the opponent is. They did that against Georgia. They did that that against Alabama. They always do that. And this year they've scored, uh, what, 14 points? I think, no, 10 points. They've scored 10 points in the first quarter against two bad teams. Uh, that that's that's not going to get it. They have to come out and put some points on the board early on. And uh, if you do that, then suddenly Florida's on their heels. So I think so much of this, uh, how this game goes, is probably going to be dictated by how the first quarter goes. To Adam's point about the swamp and, and the, the factor it can be in a game, I, I go back to the 1995 game. Tennessee with Peyton Manning was up 34, 30 to 14. Florida scored 48 straight points. I'd never seen anything like that in a game of top 10 teams. And it was though the momentum, uh, it was just accelerated by the crowd. It's like they were going hand in hand, the team, the crowd. It was almost like watching a basketball team. Then in 2007, the same thing happened at Tennessee. It was 28 to 20. Uh, Arian Foster fumbled. Florida picked it up and scored. And the next thing you knew, uh, Florida had 59 points. It was 59 to 20. So it, it, the momentum can, it seems like when Florida gets rolling in the swamp and those games have been a while back, but in the past, when that happened, they just kept rolling. Uh, but I think one thing worth noting about this in the swamp, the last time Tennessee had a coaching advantage over Florida was in 2003. Coincidentally, that's the last time it won against Florida in the Swamp. It was Philip Fulmer against Ron Zook. Ron Zook, they couldn't get rid of him fast enough, followed Steve Spurrier. This is the first time since then, to me, that Tennessee has a decided coaching advantage. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good point, John. And, and you know, going back to last year, even outside of the Swamp, the question was, could Tennessee erase some of the demons against Florida, regardless of, of venue. And, uh, Josh Heupel was able to, to get that done winning in Gainesville, of course, is a little bit of a, a challenge of a different sort. Yeah. If this comes down to X's and O's, uh, Tennessee wins. If this comes down to, to Jimmy's and Joe's, so to speak, uh, I, I like Tennessee's chances pretty well too. If this comes down to intangibles and environment and momentum and all that, that's of, of those three types of games. That last one is the type that Tennessee could be 
could be in trouble because of the venue. And it, you know, it, it's such a weird dynamic. Um, uh, yeah, I, if I if I remember right, this is the first time since 1971 that Tennessee has been ranked and Florida has not. Tennessee, within the program, because of what happened last season and because of this traje- trajectory they've been on under Josh Heupel, there are thoughts of this could be another 9, 10, 11 win season. You know, in the preseason, you heard the team say, we want to win the East. We want to win the SEC East. Got to get to Atlanta. And so there's this goal out there um, that is a legitimate goal for what, you know, for what they have and what they are coming off from doing last year and winning the Orange Bowl and all that. Um, I don't know what Florida's uh, rallying cry is. I don't think it's to win the East. Um, I mean, this is a team that has already lost a game. Uh, Now, granted, it was against a good, very good Utah team. If Tennessee had played Utah, I'm not so sure they would be undefeated right now. Um, So, Florida knows they're playing for probably a mid-tier bowl this year. Six, seven, I don't know, maybe eight wins, whatever. Um, but they're not going to win the East. And so now they're they're now an, an underdog at their home stadium, and they are almost a, you know, they're a September spoiler as much as anything. You know, Tennessee, you, th- you, you think you're a team now, you think you're back. Well, you can't win in the Swamp. That's the spoiler role that Florida has now, where Tennessee now is more of the we're a top ten team. We're coming there to, you know, to just to to get off on the right right foot in SEC play because you gotta gotta run the table in the SEC and get get to the Alabama game and get to the Georgia game and all these, you know, all these lofty goals. And so I think that's an interesting dynamic. Again, if if Tennessee starts well, this goes into their favor because it looks like what what these two teams uh, should look like at this point, which Tennessee is the better team and they're going to win the game, whether it's home road, whatever. If Tennessee struggles early on, then all the momentum goes to Florida. And then I think Tennessee could get tight. Um, So it it really comes down to a lot of how this one starts. Tennessee potentially could have a confidence problem. I'm not saying they do have one, but they could potentially have one if early on in this game, they look like what they did last week. I've got a rallying cry for Florida. Oh, Save no. our coach. <laughs> I, it's more likely Flo- in Florida, John, it's fire our coach. I mean, they had fireronzook.com. Wasn't that registered within about a month of him having the job? Well, uh, I think, Will, I think, I think Napier is Save Our Coaches, isn't it? Because isn't his staff like 400 people or something? It's like <laughs> half of Gainesville is employed it, on it, that staff. Yeah, so it has a, will have a huge negative impact on the economy of Gainesville if <laughs> Billy Napier is let go. But if he starts out, if he starts out his Gator tenure at uh, seven and nine with uh, a couple of embarrassing losses, Vanderbilt, by the way, along along the course of that, then yeah, he's got to catch a lot of heat. So that should be Florida's rallying cry. Last thing before we go, guys, we uh, John and I talked about this a little bit over on our SEC Football Unfiltered podcast, but wanted to uh, get your guys' opinion on the rivalry in general here. We know um, the SEC is going to 16 teams next year. Divisions are going away. Tennessee will still play Florida next season. That's been announced for the schedule. We don't know how much longer this series, though, will remain an annual game. I think we all kind of tend to think based on what we've heard and pieced together that this 
probably at some point will go to be uh, played once every two years rather than remaining an annual rivalry. Uh, of course, this rivalry doesn't stretch back to the lengths of the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry. Uh, for Florida, it's not the Georgia-Florida game. But at one time in the 90s, it was one of the biggest annual games in college football. So a 1 through 10 scale, guys, I'll, I'll go first and I want you guys to weigh in as well. 1 through 10, with uh, 1 being not at all and 10 being a whole heck of a lot, how much will you miss this game being on the annual slate if you know, if in 2025 or at some point in the future, it does go de- down to being once every two years. One, you don't you don't care at all that that, that is changing. Ten, you'll you'll miss it quite a bit. I'll I'll lead us off. I'll say seven because um, you know I was born in the 80s, so growing up a college football fan in the 90s, really liked this game, and and we saw what it was in its heyday, which was. Pretty awesome series. Didn't have the longevity of some other rivalries, but there's some heat there. Two really good venues in terms of stadiums. And, uh, you know, I, I thought at its best, this was a good series. Hasn't been at its best for many, many years. Doesn't have the history. So that's what maybe keeps me from going higher than a seven. But I like this game. It's, um, you know, it's one of my favorite games usually in the season to cover, even when the teams aren't great. Um, you know, I kind of look forward to this game. So I'll go uh, seven on my how much will I miss it meter. I'll go uh, I'll go eight. Um, yeah, I, I grew up watching Tennessee football in the, I mean, my whole life, but primarily the 90s. And that's when this thing was going. Um, and it, for a certain generation and a certain age uh, fan, this this is this is still going almost as well as it was back then. It may not seem that way, and I understand that. Certainly, the younger generation would not understand that. But you know, if you know, th- this week I'll probably uh, end up eating uh, fried gator po' boys uh, in Knoxville. Uh, my wife gets them every year, and they have them at the at the high school where she teaches. I know I grew up. Uh, you would do things like that. There's a there's a segment of Tennessee fans that they still recognize this as Gator hate week. Um, It's just so tied into the culture of that generation of fans. So I'll miss that. Um, Really? I I think I'll probably miss that by, by because of who replaces that game. You know, I I think you can, the Florida, the Florida rivalry with Tennessee is almost like alternate uniforms. Um, if you're a certain age, you say, eh, you know, I don't like these new things. Uh, but then there's a certain younger age that d- this is why, what, what's your problem? I don't understand. These are fun. Um, so I, I think that there's a generational gap in there between, uh, between those things. Um, but when Florida goes off the schedule and then suddenly you get into a season and Tennessee's playing Mississippi State instead of Florida, or they're playing Texas A and M, you know, South Carolina. It's just it, it. You'll. It's not so much what you lose, but the, the what it's what replaces it will will make that hole a little bigger. I think. So I completely understand how a younger generation would say this is like a two, uh, but to me it's an eight because my entire life, Florida Tennessee has meant something, even when both teams were down. If this if this were Florida and Tennessee of the 1990s, I would say a 10. I would be devastated yeah. if you if you couldn't have the Tennessee Florida game. It was the game on the schedule. 
it was bigger than Alabama because both teams were in the same division and you almost had to win that game to win the East. It didn't always play out that way, but it was such a big deal, but neither program is the same. Uh, Florida coming off a losing season. Uh, I'm looking forward to Texas and Oklahoma in this league. And, uh, I can remember other rivalries. I've seen rivalries come and go. I can remember when Tennessee and Auburn had a lot of great games against each other, and that was a really good rivalry. So I'd probably go about a five now. A you five. ever had a? Have you ever had a Gator Po' Boy? Fried yes, Gator? I have. Yeah, I have. Yeah, they're good. Now, I, as a, a, an objective journalist, don't care anything about the symbolism of eating gator on Florida Week. But I'll, I'll of course, I always partake because I love anything, anything fried. So, so. well, ga- gator meat can be kind of chewy. I, I've had some bad uh, uh, alligator, but I've also had some some good gator uh, dishes down in. Uh, Outside Florida, outside Gainesville, in fact, there was a, a really good restaurant I used to go to. As, as they say, it tastes like chicken, but chicken's really good, so that's a compliment. <laughs> All right, well, we know what's on the menu uh, in the Sparks household this week. It's fried gator. Uh, we'll see if gator is, is on Tennessee's menu on Saturday night at the Swamp. Adam will have the coverage all week over at knoxnews.com. John and I will have the commentary and we'll be back here to discuss next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.